I'm a like, millionaire exactly. who grew up in a family with tons of money and have nothing but privilege. Exactly. Please take my side in this bullshit feud. Exactly. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I'm your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me once again to make merry and rejoice in the spirit of Royals baseball, my brother, Mike. Rejoice all. I feel like we're at the Ren Fair. Rejoice, Ooh, everyone. Yeah. Make I want a big ye- turkey leg. I want to I hit ye old pub. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, today we're going to get started with some Royals baseball, look back at the last week and talk a little bit about the burning questions that are most important to the Royals future. But first, I wanted to make some programming notes. Today's episode is being recorded on Sunday, May 30th during the Royals game. So some of the records and uh, numbers and things like that uh, won't include today's game. The Royals are currently leading the Twins 5-2 to two, uh, in the bottom of the fifth. Oh, check that. It's now 5-3 to three in the top of the sixth. Damn it. Um, <laughs> but hopefully they hold on to that lead and grab the win so they can uh, end the series with a series win against the Twins. I will also note that next week at week's episode, might come a day late. I'm making the move back to Kansas City this weekend, so I have to drive across the country. And the moving company I'm using is telling me that they're either going to show up on Friday or Saturday. So if they show up on Friday, you'll get your episode when it's supposed to come out, Monday morning as usual. If they show up on Saturday, you probably won't get it till Tuesday because I don't want to pull into Kansas City, sit down, record a podcast episode, and be up editing it until three in the morning after I've driven for two days across the country. So... Uh, we'll see if uh, that ends up coming out, but just a note that you may get a uh, an episode of Day Late next week. Mike, you excited about uh, your brother moving back in with you at 35 years old? I don't want to call you a bum, but you're going to be living with me. And by the way, we need to have a discussion because the basement is the best place for you. I figured out this the other day on a trial run kind of thing. So we'll talk about it after this, but you need to be in the basement where it's <laughs> filthy and disgusting and dark. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be living with Mike for a couple of months while my house sells and I find another house to live in. So hopefully he apparently thinks I belong in the basement where the other sort of night dwellers belong, I think Mm -hmm. is is where I belong, but that's fine. I also want to throw out a shout out to someone who left us a review on Apple podcast this week. They actually left it a week ago. I should say, I just forgot to put it in the rundown last week because I forget things. The person's name was the best Nathan, you know, that's the name they gave, which is confusing because I know a lot of Nathans. None of them know each other though. So they probably all think they're the best Nathan I know. (laughs) And to them, I say, you are, you are. (laughs) Um, But it was an excellent review. And I was thinking it was morally actually. Uh, Oh, he moved back to Kansas city too. Oh yes. Yeah, I know. Okay, great. So this might be Morley. This might be Miller. This might be one of the other Nathans we know. What would be really creepy if it's a Nathan we actually don't know, but they know us. Oh right? yeah. What if yeah. this is like a single white female or a cable guy kind of situation where like <laughs> they just want to steal our lives or something, you know, like nobody um, wants this life. I can tell I was you thinking, that. I was thinking this earlier. I was like, all right, take it. Like, that's fine. Like, <laughs> you can have it. Uh, it's all yours. Uh, it's all yours. Uh, but the, the, the best Nathan we know left us a review and it was wonderful. It said, this is just what I'm looking for in a Royals podcast, information that helps me love the game and, and the team even more. And so thank you very much. The best Nathan you, we know. Thank you all the Nathans we know, really. We're going to get into it right now. Let's talk a little bit about last week. Okay, there was a ton of roster news last week. The Royals made a whole bunch of moves. We're going to try and get through it fairly quickly so we can get to talking about the baseball. But the biggest roster move, the most important roster move is the one we've been waiting for all season. Mike has been predicting it every week for about the last month. (laughs) 
Uh, and that is that Alberto Mondesi finally came back and he came back and hit the ground running. He's been just crushing the ball ever since he got there, uh, ever since he made it back to the Royals. Yeah. And it's uh, seven for 18. He's got three doubles and a home run already. He even stole a base. He did get a caught stealing as well. He has struck out eight times, but that's what he does. I mean, he's, he's a guy who's a free swinger and um, you just hope that these hot streaks can be, can last a little bit longer than the dry spells do. But right now he's uh, really contributing to the offense for the Royals and man, did we need it at the bottom of the lineup and it makes our defense so much stronger um, with him at shortstop. And then you can put either wit at second or they've had uh, uh, Albert Hanser Alberto at second. Some they can Mickey. put Mickey there if they really want a strong defensive lineup and put wit hopefully in right field. Now that Solaire's out, you got to figure out what to do in right field, but um yeah, it really helped. It boosts the team offensively and defensively. Can't go wrong there. So, yeah, I I think if you see him hit, you can tell that he's carried that late 2020 approach over. It's an aggressive approach. It's not Carlos Santana, but he does seem to be figuring out. He, it seems like he knows what pitchers are trying to do to him more than he used to, more than earlier in his career. So even though he's still going to be a free swinger, he understands that when he's down 0-2, 1-2, they're going to try and back foot slider him. They're going to try and, you know, do these, get him to chase outside the zone. And so he works his way back into counts. He just seems to have a little bit better ability to let those go and then zone pitches or even get out and, you know, swing early in counts and hit pitches and put them in play instead of fouling them off. So hopefully that sort of thing continues because he could be a free swinging Javier Baez type and just, you know, with have the ability to hit for power, lots of extra base hits this week, you know, steal bases. And, you know, maybe he'll never have a huge on-base percentage, but, you know, it's fine if he's on base 330 and, you know, gets a lot of extra base hits and, and plays great defense. It'll be extremely valuable if that's the case. Yeah. Uh, another roster move that got a lot of Royals fans really excited in some ways, Edward Olivares made his major league debut today. Just got brought up for this game today. He already had a single in the game, started the rally that got them the lead earlier today. If you don't know who Edward Olivares is, he was acquired in the Trevor Rosenthal trade with San Diego last year, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to say last year. Yeah, He played a few games in the majors for the Royals last year. Played a lot and Never, hit well towards the end of the year. Hit, hit very, well some, very end of the uh, year, yeah. High strikeout rate, higher than was normal for him at the major league level. And so he ended up getting sent back down to start this year. Didn't make the team out of spring training. But since the start of the minor league season, there has not been a hotter hitter in the Royal system. He has been crushing the ball at AAA Omaha with a 395 average, a 473 on base, and a 654 slugging. He has a 1.127 OPS down in Omaha this year with five home runs. He's just playing really, really great baseball down in Omaha. And it was just a matter of, will he get an opportunity? When will he get an opportunity? And the thing that has impressed me most about the way he's been playing so far this year is his strikeout rate is only 14% down in Omaha. That's the lowest of his career. And his walk rate is nearly 12%. So he's almost walking at the same rate that he's striking out, which is really incredible in today's baseball. Yeah, and uh, it's good to see if you ever if you watched any of those games in Omaha, it was an automatic. This guy was going to do something every single time to start a rally or to win a game, and uh, really exciting because he's he's an athletic guy too. So he'll do a little bit on the base paths. Um, he's probably not a center fielder for any team, but he's a guy that you can play in left or right field and has a little bit of pop too for a skinnier guy. So uh, really exciting player. And I, I, yeah, I thought nothing of him after last year. I was like, uh, he was kind of a write-off for me. Like, eh, 
maybe nothing, but if he can be an, not maybe the answer in right field, but something, give you something in right field, that's going to be a big thing. That'd be huge for the organization. We're going to talk a little bit later about question marks facing the future of the Royals outfield because they just don't have a ton of outfielders who are prospects in their minor league system right now. And so if Olivares can lock down one of those outfield positions and be a, a really good, not just above average, but even good hitter at the major league level, he can be an average outfielder in left or right field, hit the ball really well. And they'll be, that'll be great for them because they have another five years of control for them. So, you know, um, that'd be great to see. Unfortunately, Jorge Soler may or may not be going on the injured list. I don't know if we're sure yet on that. He had a slight injury yesterday's game. Uh, wasn't really sure. I think somebody said groin injury, groin injury yep. but I don't think they know whether or not they're going to put him on the 10 day injured list uh, to get Olivares on the roster. They sent down the Royals sent down Carlos Hernandez. And all I have on the rundown here was he was bad. That's all I, put I disagree. Like, he was bad. Uh, he was objectively bad. Nope. So he looked great in spots there. He looked phenomenal and terrible in other spots. <laughs> and so, you know, when you walk as many as he walked, when you walked up like hits, two right when he got in, I mean, and gave up runs right when he got in. Like, yeah. uh, and so, yeah, he, he didn't look great. He still needs to work on that command. That command has yeah. to get better. Even if you throw a hundred, you have to be able to command it. And he has to find command with those secondary pitches as well. And once he gets there, maybe he'll be an effective weapon up at the major league level, but right now the command just isn't good enough. Also coming back to the roster this week, Hunter Dozier came back. He just came back a couple of days ago. I'll say that to my eye anyway, he looks a lot better. He looks more calm. He's only been one for seven with a walk, uh, but he did start the rally on Friday. They got them their beginning. And so hopefully he can sort of find some consistency at the plate, stop pressing so much, take his walks, hit the ball the other way and be a successful hitter again, because for him, it, he doesn't add that much defensively anywhere on the field at this point. And so he really needs to hit or it's going to be, the question is going to be asked, what were the Royals spending their money on with that contract extension? Well, and the, the thing that's going to be kind of an indicator for me is how many balls does he pop up in the infield or foul territory? That's not good Hunter Dozier. Like you're going to see a lot of just weak pop-ups when he's not going well. And if they're continuing to pitch him up in the zone, I wonder if that's what he's going to do when he figures it out. He'll line those to center and right field, but I don't know if that's where he is yet. I just don't. Yeah. We'll have to give it some time there. They're going to keep playing him. They paid him all that money. So he's going to keep playing. We'll see if he can sort of find his way again. And honestly, in a season where the Royals aren't really expected to compete all that much, it's probably worth just giving him time to try and find it uh, because you did spend that money giving him a contract extension. So might as well give him a chance. Uh, also, uh, Josh Stalmont was sent to the 10-day injured list with a knee sprain. He hasn't looked right for at least a week, week and a half. I don't think the knee sprain is actually the problem. Yeah, sounds but, made up. <laughs> but you hope it is. You hope that's the problem. But I don't think that's the problem. I think uh, the knee sprain might actually be a symptom of the problem, which is maybe he was compensating for the fact that he was not throwing as hard for some reason and ended up spraining his knee in an effort to, uh, you know, throw harder or something like that. Mike's putting sp knee sprain in quotes as if that's not actually the problem. Like, yeah, uh, maybe it's not, I don't know. Like, uh, but that's what they're calling it at this point. So, somebody so we'll else see. tweeted out that he may just have uh, a little bit of tired arm or dead arm, whatever you want to call it at this point. I don't know, but right. Because remember he didn't have a full pretty convenient to me. Yeah. He didn't have a full spring training. So he didn't get a chance to maybe go through some of those things that guys go through in spring training, like dead arm and things like that. 
but hopefully it's just a minor blip for him. He probably needs the rest anyway. And so we'll give him a, a 10 days to uh, try and get himself back into shape. But let's, uh, let's talk about the week uh, for the team. Uh, up to this point, the team has gone two and three this week uh, with two losses against the Rays and a loss against the Twins and then a win against the Rays and a win against the Twins up to this point. Do we have an update on the score there, Mikey? Still looks uh, Kansas City up five to three in the bottom of the sixth, it looks like. Okay, and Zimmer's on to pitch now at this point. Mm-hmm. Keller threw a lot of pitches early in the start, so it's not surprising yeah, they went to the bullpen early. in the first, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing about this week is it felt like an opportunity for the Royals to show the world that they are a decidedly average team, and that's exactly kind of what they've done so far. They look average at best to me. Uh, they look like a team that should lose to the Rays, and a team that maybe should beat the Twins two of three, I think they should, but somewhere in the middle between those two teams. They're not as good as the Rays. That was clear during that Rays series. The Rays pitched better. They played better defense. They hit better. The Rays are a better team than the Royals. But the Royals do at times look better than the Twins. And so maybe somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and that's that's about where the Indians are too, if you're just looking yes. in the division. But yeah, that's that's exactly what I had here. I, I had we just aren't quite good enough to play with the elites. You know, we're not going to beat those elite teams uh, right now. And and it, you really saw it in the Rays series. I love the point that you said about the defense. Like it looked like they don't ever make a mistake defensively ever, and it's so frustrating. And so yeah, that that's where the Royals are right now. But if you said at the beginning of the year, hey, they're going to be an average team. They're going to be about where the Indians are. They're going to get a game or a game here or there against the really good teams, and they're going to beat the the bad teams i just said that's a step forward and that's what you want yeah i think that's i think that's right i think sometimes you will see them grab a a few wins against those good teams when they're playing really hot and the good teams aren't like they'll take two from the white Sox or something like that but the rays i think are even on a different level than the white Sox. the rays are super consistent they play great defense they run the base as well it's like it's the little things that the rays do really really well and then the white Sox are just super talented and Mm -hmm. so you know, if the Royals want to hope to get back to the summit, they're going to get an infusion of talent with a lot of guys coming up with the Coars, the Lynches, the Bobby Wood Juniors and things like that. The question is, will they will they find ways to do those little things, not make mistakes on the base paths, you know, make all the defensive plays that takes you to the level of a Tampa Bay Rays who were the American League champions last year and look like they have a good chance to contend for it again this year. We saw a few strong performances this week. Mike, I know you were really excited with uh, Mondesi coming out and, and hitting the ground running. Yeah, and we've kind of already touched on him. He's uh, It's exciting to get better on offense and on defense, but when you can turn a guy like him into your seven hitter and you can say, okay, if somebody like Sal is able to get on or somebody in the middle of your lineups on base, he can continue a rally that way, or he can put one over the fence. And that's that's exciting. There just aren't a lot of guys in baseball that are both as fast as him and have as much pop as him. So we talked about the numbers already. The extra base hits have been big. He's already got a home run from both sides. He's hitting it really well, it looks like. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's exciting to get a player like that in. And you're hoping really solid defense up the middle, which we've seen so far. Yeah, he really lengthens that lineup and it gives him so many options down at the bottom. Like he, as you said, he could put one out, which he did on Saturday that almost got them back that got them back got into them that back game, in game right yeah. he put the, he put a home run out in the ninth with nobody out and got them to within one run and they just weren't able to finish that rally but he can also do other things he can steal second if he gets a single down there and all of a sudden now your weakest hitters down at the bottom of your lineup 
have some options for maybe just getting him to third on a bunt, yeah. putting one through the right side and getting him to third or things like that. Yeah. If Dyson's that, down there, you're not like, well, he's not going to drive him in from second because he's dry or from first he's now on second, you know? Yeah. Well, Dyson or Taylor or Nicky Lopez, these are all guys who can put the ball to the right side of the infield and find ways to get Mondesi now to third. And you're just a little bit more productive as a bottom segment of the lineup if Mondesi's down there and and putting himself into scoring position frequently, either with doubles or by hitting singles and stealing second. And so, yeah, Mondesi, I think, changes their lineup in so many ways, changes their team in so many ways, because hopefully they're going to be much better on defense with him in there as well. And so it's great to sort of see him have a strong performance right out of the gate because I worried that he might come back and need a couple of weeks to sort of get acclimated, but he's really shown that he doesn't, he's ready to go. Yeah. Uh, the guy I want to talk about having a great week so far is Jake Brents, uh, relief pitcher lefty. What a great signing he has been. I mean, he, he made three appearances this week, went four and a third, no runs, only gave up one hit, had five strikeouts. He did walk three guys, which is a Royals thing. Like that, 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 that seems to be their thing. If they want to be known for something, it seems like they want to be known but he as was the kinda, team that walks hitters. He was kind of so. known for that before we got him. I mean, he, he has control well, issues. I mean. Well, that's, that's the thing he does. And we love guys who have control issues apparently, <laughs> but he, but he was, he's able to get out of it. He strikes guys out. Doesn't give him a ton of hits. And he was a minor league signing last year. They got him for, for nothing. They got him for so little last year. They just signed him as a minor league free agent. And now they have another five years of control of what looks like a really good left-handed reliever who can be a very strong part of a strong bullpen. And they got him for nothing. They didn't have to trade for him. They just signed him as a minor league free agent. So that's been a tremendous signing. And he had a really good week this week. Did you notice, and I think it was two days ago, I think it would have been on uh, Friday. Did you notice him throwing a changeup? He'll throw a changeup every once I was, in a while. He threw it like a lot the other night. I'm going, what the heck? And he threw it for strikes. I'm like, what? This yeah, a three pitch. He's a three pitch reliever, really. Like he'll throw his breaking ball and his changeup, and he. I, I had really only him. noticed the fastball, so, which is fantastic, and the slider, which is f- pretty good too. Like I'd be like, oh my gosh, these two pitches are great. Then he throws that changeup out there. It's not a fantastic changeup, but when you throw ninety nine or ninety eight, and then his was going like ninety. I'm like, all right, that's not terrible. You know, you take that anytime. So it was. Yeah, exciting. anytime you can show them another pitch, they have to think about. That's great. And I was really skeptical on him at the beginning of the year uh, when you were like, hey, this Brent's guy looks interesting. I had never heard of him and uh, in spring training. And I'm looking at him. I'm going, OK, maybe. But I always thought at some point he would lose the command. I thought like, oh, well, he's going to it's going to go away. Like he just looks good now. Eventually it'll go away. But it hasn't. He's he's really buckled down. And he's a Missouri guy, if I'm not mistaken. So he is. St. Louis area. For- yeah, I forget this. It's it's a like a suburb or a town outside of St. Louis. Yeah. But yeah, definitely a Missouri guy. So maybe he has incentive to stay. Who knows? Uh, but I'd love to see the Royals at least keep him through this first, you know, through his rookie contract, through his arbitration years, you know, where he's going to be cheap, a cheap reliever who you can serve. And that's what you need. If you're the Royals, you need cheap relievers. You don't want to be out there paying elite prices for elite relievers. You want to get them on the cheap. And so great signing there to get him uh because he's not going to cost very much at all over the course of the next five six years we do uh, have I to can, talk about some oh i was gonna say i can segue that right into a struggling reliever if you want me to tyler zuber has not uh he just hasn't been what i had hoped he was going to be because i was really high on tyler zuber after last year and before last year um but he's really struggled uh he was uh let's see friday he was up we were up seven 
He ended up only getting one out. They have to bring in Zimmer to kind of clean up his mess uh, after giving up some runs. He's had two appearances this week, given up three runs, four walks, which is the issue you talked about and we'll continue to talk about here. No strikeouts for a pitcher like him who's going to really rely on getting some strikeouts as a guy who can also give up the long ball occasionally. So it, really rough outing. I'm not seeing the curveball that I saw from him last year and before last year. Uh, so it's a really disappointing that he's not throwing that a little bit more, I think. Honestly, at this point, I'm not sure they really feel comfortable putting him in any situation that isn't up seven runs or isn't something like that. Like, I feel more comfortable with Irving Santana in any of those situations than I do Tyler Zuber at this point. We'll see if Zuber can can find his command again. He seems like the type of guy who will probably be up and down quite a bit this year. Like he'll be down in AAA and back up as they sort of need more arms and so forth. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him take a trip back to Omaha where maybe he can work on some stuff and, and try and figure out a way to consistently throw strikes again. Uh, the guy I'm going to talk about won't be sent down. I'm pretty confident of that. And that is Whit Merrifield. He's been struggling this week as well. He's been struggling for a while, honestly. Um, his batting average dipped under 250 this week. He was four for 18 uh, this week. That's a 222 batting average, a 263 on base, and a 274 slugging. That those aren't Whit Merrifield like numbers. And I've just been sort of sitting waiting for this Merrifield breakout to happen. Him to go on one of these really hot streaks of his, and it just hasn't come yet. And I, I think it may have started. Like. I think he had, did he have two hits yesterday or the day before? I can't remember. But he has two hits today, too. So hmm. these four hits may be all be like the last couple of days. Um, I would love so, it if this, yeah. if this is him turning it around. Um, yeah, I know because, he has a double today, and I think he got a single as well. So, yeah, he's he's uh, hopefully turning it around because, yeah. And, and he, it's it's been compounded. Well, heck, there was that game, maybe I can't remember if it was yesterday or Friday. He grounded into two double plays in the same game. And both That's, one of one time scored a run, but it's like that just killed us. You know, you didn't have a chance to keep a rally going because cleared the bases after that. So yeah, it, it's been he's been coming up with people on base and just not doing anything with it. Yeah, it, it's not the Merrifield we we know and love, and I, I think it's a little bit confusing because his carrying tool is his hit tool, and a hit tool typically ages better than the other tools, right? It, it's one that guys can typically hold on to into their mid thirties. Uh, whereas power and speed tend to wane. Well, power can power ages pretty well. Look at guys like Nelson Cruz and things like that. Um, but sometimes the type of guys who hit for power, Ryan Howard, things like that, their Fielder. body types just aren't Prince Fielder. Their body types are made to last well into their thirties. And so those guys break down a little bit, but you know, you find a guy like Nelson Cruz, Jim Tomei, those kind of guys, they have more athletic bodies, they can hit well into their thirties or even Carlos Santana, who's hitting really well at 35 right now for the Royals. But the hit tool is typically one that ages well. And so I kind of expected Merrifield to just jump right back on the 290 to 310 range, you know, but he is really struggling so far. So either I was wrong and this is the first step of his sort of offensive descent, or you're going to see a super hot stretch from him here before too long because regression means he needs to start hitting really hot and get those numbers back to where they would normally be. So I'm, I'm really hoping for one of those. I always sort of believe in him because he has this track record that is impressive. And so we'll see if, if he starts turning those ground balls into more line drives, if he starts hitting the ball the other way and getting back to sort of Merrifield type things that, that um, 
help him drive those numbers back up. Mike, I want to talk a little bit about our theme for the week. You brought up Tyler Zuber. You brought up, or we, we talked about um, Jake Brenson. We talked about the Royals bullpen and things like that. So this is my big theme for the week. And I want to make it very clear for everybody. My theme for the week is stop walking people. And here's why. <laughs> I feel like every time the Royals lose a game, it is because their pitching staff walks everyone. And so Brad Keller came out today and walked like the first th- three batters in the first inning. Uh, you know, the bullpen comes including in, including one for a run, <laughs> including one for a run. Yeah. Tyler's somebody tweeted me yesterday as, as the game was happening, like we must walk the bases loaded more than any other team in the league. And I'm guessing that's true. I haven't looked up the numbers, but I'm guessing we do that frequently. So that that's the issue here. And people have talked about it as like, does Cal Eldred need to lose his job because the Royals keep walking people? Maybe, right? Like, and it's bullpen guys. It's, it's Greg Holland who came in and walked the first batter. Uh, like that, that's the thing that really kills me is when a relief pitcher comes in and walks the very first batter kills me. Absolutely kills me. It's like, especially when you're given a clean inning, it's like you're giving a clean inning as a reliever. That's great. You come in, you walk the first batter. What the hell are you doing? Yeah. Carlos Hernandez did not get a clean inning yesterday, but he walked the first two guys that when he came in. And so that, that, that was the bases loaded there. Yeah. It, it's so frustrating because you want to talk about turning a team in from a team that's going to be an average kind of team into one that can compete against those guys, the big boys. You're never going to compete against the best teams putting guys on base. Never. It will take you from a good team to an average team quickly. So, yeah, you've got to be able to limit those. And, yeah, it's it's also frustrating that you can't just limit it down to one guy or two guys. Like, it's everybody. Brady Singer's walked too many guys. They've all done it. Yeah. Holland's walked yeah. way too many guys. Ugh. The Royals are third worst in Major League Baseball in walks per nine innings. Only the Cardinals and Reds walk more batters than the Royals. And how many of those are intentional walks because they're in the National League? Oh, yeah, (laughs) might be. Might be, actually, yeah. Yeah. Some of those are going to be intentional walks, pitch arounds, because they're in the National League, right? And so the Royals just walk so many hitters, and it's killing their ability to prevent runs. Uh, For me, the theme this week... Your best ability is availability. And that's a, a, just a saying in all sports. I think I hear it more in football based on injuries and things, but uh, that's, that's a big thing for us. Like not only availability in, are you hurt? Which we've had a lot of guys go on the IL this year. We just had Stalmont go, but then we're pitching these relievers so frequently that that's really where the value for a guy like Barlow comes in is that he pitches so much more frequently than everybody else does, you know? Um, not that he's not pitching well too, but like, how available are you as a reliever? How available are you even as a starter necessarily? Like, can you go every fifth day? Is that going to happen? Are you going to go on the IL Zimmer again? Like, you know, availability, just being able to go out there and play is such a big deal, especially for a team that really needs all of its pieces to be a, a, a strong team. We've seen it so much in the bullpen, but other places too. I mean, we're just getting Mondi back. We're also just losing Solaire. So it's like, uh, availability, be able to play every day. Yeah. It's one of those things that, uh, for a team like the Royals is going to have extra significance because we're not talking about a team that could dig into their farm system or that has a really deep bench or anything like that. You know, they, they need certain guys in the lineup all the time. They need guys available out of the bullpen frequently. And so can you imagine yeah. what happens if Carlos Santana gets hurt? 
I was actually just thinking that exact same question, but with Salvador Perez. Oh gosh, yeah, that too. My <laughs> God, we're dead. Yeah, yeah. So there are a couple of guys we could say like, oh man, if if they're out of the lineup, the Royals are in big trouble. And so it's great to be available. It's great to uh, get out there and play every day, but not every every day. Give Whit yeah. Merrifield and and Salvador Perez a day off every now and again. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout-out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. We tweet during virtually every game, so you can get all this fresh insight for free by simply following us. It seems like the Royals are at an interesting point in the season where it's difficult to know just how good they are or how good they can be. They were 24 and 26 coming into Sunday. On some days, they look like a team that's on the verge of wildcard contention, and on others, they look like a team that's still a year or two away. So in this week's Spotlight segment, we're going to address what we consider to be the three most important questions to the Royals' future, so we can start to dig into where is this team going and what will it ultimately look like. And the first question we're going to sort of dig into is, are the Royals buyers, sellers, or do-nothingers in this 2021 season? Mike, what do you think? You think they're buyers, sellers, or should they just do nothing? Um, some some fans aren't going to want to hear this, but I think that ultimately they're sellers, um, or at least I hope they are. Uh, I think we're a year, at least a year, probably two years away from serious contention. Our best product prospects are still in the minors. Daniel Lynch is a guy we're going to count on. Coar, uh, we're going to count on. Bobby Witt Jr. Hopefully, at this point, at that point, is ready to go, and we're going to count on him. Maybe even a guy like um, Nick Prado is a guy that we may end up counting on if it's two years from now, and Carlos Santana has moved on or whatever. But we have so many veterans that are in the last year or the next to last year of their deals that I just feel like you've got to go out and get value for them to push for the long window which is 2022, 23, 24, 25. Benny, Santana, and Miner, they all have two years left. A lot of value in some of those deals. Benny and Santana especially should be able to get something for them. And then Solaire, Duffy, and Taylor are all in the last year of their deal. Solaire, I don't know if you get much value out of Solaire depending on what he does from here on out. Duffy, there should be value. And here's the hard part for the Royals. You can't be sentimental about hanging on to a Danny Duffy. If he comes back off the injury list and pitches the way he was before he went on, there's going to be value there for a playoff contender, either out of the bullpen for them or in the starting rotation for them. So that might be a way you have to go. You might have to say bye to a Danny Duffy and prepare for that next wave by getting a younger player. Screw you. I love Danny Duffy. I'm never going to let him go. I love Danny Duffy too. (laughs) <laughs> I go to sleep but, with a Danny Duffy pillow every night. Don't we all? I mean, I, I, I kiss a picture of him before I put my head on the pillow. And he's a great dude and a wonderful human being, it seems like. But And, and it would be good for him, too. I want to put him onto a team where he can go contend for a, a championship this year, you know, because it's not going to happen for the Royals. And he, I mean, you never know with a guy that age. He, this might be the last year. He's a really productive pitcher. So I want him to be able to go do that. Michael A. Taylor. Try and get something for him. That's my thing. Like you, you signed him as a lottery ticket. You get a bullpen prospect. There's no point in keeping him past this year. He has no real value to the team moving forward. The only reason you might think about keeping him a little longer is we legit have nothing else to put out there. 
maybe if you're contending, like if somehow they get up five games or something over 500 and you're like, okay, we can't get rid of Taylor now, but that's not going to happen. So Taylor's gone in my eyes. He's gone. That's it. Well, here's, I'm going to talk a little bit about the case for doing nothing because you just sort of described where it would need to be. So if the Royals are like five games over 500, looks like they're maybe five back or so from a wild card spot, five or less back from a wild card spot as the end of July nears, because the trade deadline is at the end of July, then I think there is a case to be made for doing nothing. And while I would say I'm probably more of a, uh, we should sell kind of a guy. I do think that doing nothing is better than being thinking you can contend and being buyers at, at the deadline. Here's the reality. You're not going to get much for Solaire. You're not going to get much for Taylor. Um, you could trade Benny or Santana or minor, but then you're sort of cutting into your ability to contend in 2022 as well. And mm-hmm. it looks like they might be ready to contend in 2022. And so if you do nothing, what you're saying is, eh, Solaire can leave. Taylor can leave we'll wave away the lottery ticket we were going to get for them or the, you know, bullpen arm that wasn't going to be elite. It was fringy bullpen arm that you were going to get for them. And we'll just see if we can maybe give it a shot this year. Maybe they get hot after the trade deadline in some way, hang on to those guys. They haven't given anything up. And so, you know, they can just sort of wait or um, in that way they, they can like, hang on to all the prospects that they have. They don't have to trade away anything. They're not losing much by just hanging on to guys, right? They're just not gaining anything either, right? And honestly, the way Solaire has been hitting, they're not going to gain much anyway. <laughs> so, you know, the, only, the one piece that they could get rid of is Duffy. He would have a lot of value, I think, on the trade market. But if he's hurt, if he doesn't keep pitching the way he has been pitching, that value will decrease. And he's just such a fan favorite, such a Royals guy. I always like to see those guys hang around and you could maybe get him on a team friendly deal after this year. He does love the Royals so much. You could probably sign him to less than market value moving forward. So give him a couple of years, see what he does. And he can be a part of the next window. If you hang on to him, that's the case for sort of doing nothing. I'd be fine if they did nothing because there's not a huge mistake to be made though. Maybe I would prefer if they could try and get something for Solaire and Taylor, the case for buying is a little more complicated. I think if you're five games up or, or let's say you're th- two or three games back from a wild card spot and you're like, hey, we're the Royals. We care about trying to win right now. That's like their mantra. They're like, we, we're always going to try and win now. Then maybe they're buyers. If they're going to be buyers, they have to be smart buyers. They have to buy for the long-term window, not just for this year. They have to buy guys who have multiple years of control so that they can can compete beyond 2021. So you can't be selling off like Jackson Kowar or Daniel Lynch or Austin Cox or whoever, and then get a guy back just for the next three months. That makes no sense whatsoever. But if you're going to buy a guy with your elite pop prospects, especially pitching prospects, he needs to be a guy who's going to be here in 2024 when you're really hit the heart of your window with Bobby Wood Jr., Nick Prado, and all those guys. Yeah, agreed. And the the, the name that kind of popped into my mind when we were saying that would be like an Alec Marsh, uh, especially if you're looking for like a bullpen arm that's still controllable from now on. <clears throat> Might be able he, to get somebody for an Alec Marsh and feel like, okay, we got a guy that's got three years in the bullpen left, 
and we didn't give up somebody who was that close to the major leagues that it's going to be an issue, though he's a really good pitcher too. <clears throat> Makes me wonder, you can't give up those big guys. Who do you give up then? Do you give up a Prado if he's fully fulfilled his uh, prospect status again? I, I just don't know. You know. Who do you give up then? You may be able to give up some hit, some catcher depth that you have. Melendez. So maybe maybe his maybe Sebastian Rivero or Melendez. I like Melendez's bat so much that I'm not super high on giving him up. But I'd give up maybe his I'd give up Sebastian Rivero. So you might be able to give up some catching depth. But other than that, I'm not giving up a hitter, right? Like because yeah. they just don't have that many. Mm-hmm. So Prado, nope, not giving him up. Uh, I guess I'd give up Soli Matias if anybody's interested. But I don't know that anybody's going to be interested in that. Yeah. Um, and so it's the pitching prospects you're looking at, right? It's, it's guys like Cox, Heasley, Marsh, Heasley. Uh, you might even have to say like Coar Lynch uh, as a, if you really want a long term controllable, nobody wants her. Hernandez has very little value, right? Like, uh, but a Lynch, um, a Coar, uh, a Lacey, who that's, that's, uh, you know, uh, if Asa Lacey could, but that's the thing. I think there are a lot of fans who like live in a, MLB the show mindset where you can make these ridiculous trades that other teams will take. Other teams aren't stupid. They're not going to be like, let me give you a long-term control of this elite hitting prospect for two guys who are garbage. They don't want to do that. Like, why would they do that? Why would they, why would somebody give up Carlos or take Carlos Hernandez for a guy who's going to be great as a hitter? It's not going to happen. And so they need to be thinking in terms of like, we might have to give up guys who are good. That's just how it's going to have to be. Uh, the next question, and none of these questions really matter if we don't answer this one, actually, and that is what should be done about Jorge Soler? Uh, everybody's asking this question right now. He got injured yesterday, but we don't know if he's going to go on IL. We don't know. We don't know that yet. And so it, let's assume he comes back. What do you do with him? Right now, he is hitting so bad that he is actually hurting the team every single day. And so do they just sit him? Do they bench him? Do they DFA him? Do they try and trade him right now and get very little for him? Or do they wait and hope he regains some of his value so they can trade him later? First off, on top of that, also his defensive value is hurting you as well. <laughs> so not only is he hitting below 200, also his defensive value is hurting you as well. And they love playing him in right field for some reason. Drives me nuts. The one positive I will say, and sadly, the day before that game he got hurt, he had two hits, two solid looking hits right up the middle. But that's baseball. You have got to play him every day. And people aren't going to want to hear that. But you have to play him. It's the only way for him to improve his value so you can trade him. And the Royals aren't in a place to say, well, this player's hurting us, not helping us win, so we can't play him. They're not really in that place, especially since if he's on, I guess now with Oliveris there, you could say, okay, we're benching you for Oliveris. But why? So you can see, so you can basically give up on Jorge Soler and get nothing for him. That doesn't make any sense. You have to play him, hope that he gets hot, which he should. I mean, his numbers kind of say, hey, he can hit a little bit and then get whatever you can for him. You got to try and get something for him. I'm hoping for a bullpen project in the minors. That's kind of my ceiling at this point. Yeah, at this point, he has about six or seven weeks to regain his value, okay? I think in a couple of weeks, two to three, the Royals would then be justified if he hasn't started hitting, getting it back together. They would then be justified just cutting bait and saying, we're not going to get anything for him anyway. We're cutting bait. 
we're seeing what Olivares has. We're going to let him have the rest of this season to hit in the outfield. Uh, and we're giving up on Jorge Soler because at that point, you're just not, he's not going to have enough value built up to really get you a, something significant at the trade deadline. And so you might as well just cut, cut bait and say, that's it. We're done. But give him a couple weeks still. And who knows, maybe he'll be on IL for a couple weeks. And so this will all be moot. But Jorge Soler at this point, I think you're right. I think if he's, if he's ready to come back in the next few days or next week, give him a few weeks. If he turns it around, if he looks hot like he did, if yesterday was really the thing that was going to spark his turnaround, then you let him gain his value back and trade him. But either way, I don't think Jorge Soler is, it would be, it would be wild to me. It wouldn't make any sense to me at all if Jorge Soler is a Kansas City Royal on August 1st. Uh, We'll move on to the final question, and that is one we sort of hinted at earlier. What are the Royals going to do about the outfield? So Michael A. Taylor is done after this year. His contract's up. Benintendi's contract is up after 2022, and so they may trade him if they want to get value for that, or they may let him play and trade him next season or something like that. But after 2022, I think it's a really good chance that Benintendi is no longer a Kansas City Royal. I do not see him signing an extension here. Um, and then they don't really have anyone in right field right now. Um, Olivares is playing there today. Dozier is a really bad right fielder. Soler is a bad right fielder and he's leaving. Um, and so our outfield future doesn't look great. And so the question is, what are they going to do there? Uh, well, the, to start this year, what you can do this year, Olivares needs to play a lot. He needs to get a lot of at-bats at the big league level so that you can see if moving forward he's a guy that can contribute to your outfield, whether that's in left or right. Not only that, I mean, I want to say similar thing to Isbell. He probably needs to get some major league at-bats this year too so that you know if he's a contributor. The, the thing I don't want them to do is bank on both of those guys being your starting left and right fielder for the future because I don't think that's going to work out, okay? Not that – they can't both be good players or good contributors, but I don't see if, if you have a starting outfield of Isbell and left Oliveris and right or flip-flop that, whatever, it doesn't really matter who you put in center. I don't know if you like the offensive production from your outfield. Unless um, Oliveris like does in some way hit doing what he's been doing in like triple A, yeah. unless he's hitting at like Mike Trout levels or something like that. Yeah. You, you really don't cause Isbell's not going to come up and be like, uh, you know, 950 OPS guy. No, if you're that's... lucky, he's going to be a 800 OPS guy, but that's really asking a lot. Uh, yeah. 750 OPS, maybe, but Olivares would need to be like a 950 OPS guy to, to really make that a, an outfield that could work. Yeah. And the other thing, so, so if that's, you've got to make, you got to get a look at both those guys this year though, either way, both those guys, you got to know what they are. And then you're probably looking at a bounce back candidate moving forward. So next year, the immediate future, if you will, you're probably looking at a guy who is, you know, I guess positive way, like a Kendris Morales, where you go out and you get a guy who everybody else thinks is a dud, but can really play. You know, you give him a chance like we did with Carlos Santana this year. Now we also tried it with Alex Rios and didn't have maybe as good of results, but you're probably looking mm-hmm. at a player like that. You mean Michael A. Taylor? Uh, not like Michael A. Taylor, because Michael A. Taylor never had like a track record of being really good at the major league level. I'm talking about a guy who had a track record of being really good at the major league level. And maybe people think he's aged or maybe had an off year or two. And you think you can go and get him and get a bounce back year from him like Benny or Carlos Santana, basically. 
those are the guys. Now, it, the, the real poster boy for that was Morales, where we got him for not much. I mean, still some, but he came in and had, it wasn't an MVP year, but it was a damn good couple years here uh, hitting the ball. Now, he didn't play right field, obviously, but that's what you're kind of looking for. Yeah, I think that there are two other routes that they need to seriously consider for the outfield. And you can they can do both of them. One is obvious, trade some of your pitching depth for outfield hitting prospects. And so you have all of these pitchers. You only have five starting rotation spot, spots and seven bullpen spots. They can't all pitch in the major leagues. And so, you know, it makes more sense to use, you know, uh, trades as a way of, bolstering your outfield future because right now the future of your outfield doesn't look great and so i'd like to see that i'd like to see a guy like rudy martin get a chance at some point as a fourth outfielder for them because i like him a lot but i really would like to see them trade some of that pitching depth and get some outfield prospects who look like they're going to be able to hit and and be really good in, in the outfield those guys do exist and so utilize that pitching depth and get yourself some hitters number two and i got into a big back and forth on on uh, Twitter this week about this. I'd like to see them focus on adding outfield talent to their minor league system through the draft that's coming up in July. Now, the reason I got into an argument about this is uh, the Royals pick seventh overall, and I'm a big fan of them taking a guy named Sal Freelich or a kid named Khalil Watson. Uh, Sal Freelich is an outfielder from Boston College. Khalil Watson is a shortstop. He's a high school kid but he has the athleticism to move to center field and play really well there. And I'm an advocate of moving guys when they're high schoolers and not when they're college guys, because it's just, they have more time to learn the position, but either one of those guys I'd be happy with, but people started jumping down my throat when I was like, Hey, they should be considering positional need in their farm system. They're like, no, you can't do that. You've got to take best player available. This is baseball. You can't be thinking about positional need. And I'm like, this is crazy to me, right? Like, One, you flatten the complexity of a draft strategy when you say it should only be best player available, right? People are like, but what about the 2018 draft where they only took college pitchers? They forget the pitching cabinet was barren for the Royals at that time. You know, yes, they took quote unquote best player available, but they also took a position of need. They needed pitchers. Foster Griffin was their number one pitcher at that time. They needed them really bad. And so they took a whole bunch of them and that's fine. But now it seems like all the Royals draft are shortstops and catchers, and that's it, which is why other than, you know, these sort of obscure fringy guys, you can't really name an outfield prospect for the Royals, certainly not a center field prospect. And that's really where they're going to struggle, right? We could say, oh, Olivares maybe in left or right, maybe Isbell in left or right, though, who knows about him, but there's not a lot of certainty there and there's really no certainty in center. And so I would love to see them get some depth in their center field minor league system and take a guy who can do that. Now, I'm not saying they should only base their draft decisions on positional need, but the fact is you don't rank a guys in the draft, like one, two, three, four, five. It doesn't work like that. Guys aren't noticeably different from each other. It's more like tiers. There are tier one guys and tier two guys and tier three guys. If you have a few two tier tier two guys, which is basically where the Royals are picking, if you have a few of them and one of them can play center field, take that guy. If you have a second in the second round, if there are some guys who can play center field around, take those guys because they need outfield depth. They need center field depth. They need center field talent 
in their minor league system. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I like the Watson kid a lot. I do not like the Freelick kid very much. But I, I, the thing I kind of question there is if one of those pitchers that is considered a top-tier guy, and we're all thinking Kumar Rocker, falls to seven, can they pass up on that? I don't, I don't know. know. At this point, I worry just about the just as much about the velocity fluctuations as the scouts and media members seem to be. Yeah. Um, I do want to throw out a, a Twitter follower of ours, John Lee Pettimore, who we referenced last week on the show. He did ask me about um, uh, would being a good shortstop translate to being able to handle center? Should Mondesi start working on this during his next rehab stint? I don't understand why he should have a stranglehold on short at this point. People keep bringing up this Mondesi to center field thing to me. That is not happening, okay? Mondesi is a great sec- shortstop, so they're never going to move him to center. It's just, it's not going to happen. He's 25 years old at this point. He's not playing center. And he has a huge injury history, and you're more likely to get injured playing the outfield than you are the infield. So I, I do think that he brings up the good point of, should he have a stranglehold on short at this point? I don't think he's necessarily going to center. But yeah, do you say, hey, well, Mondesi's for sure our guy moving forward? Or do you say, you know, he could move to second? If Bobby Witt Jr. is a guy that ends up pushing him, do you say, well, we can't bring him up or we can't move Mon- or Witt to third or whatever? Do you just give it to Mondesi continue- moving forward? Or do you say he has to continue to play well to stay at short? Uh, well, one, if he does continue to play well, he stays at short. Yeah, I think I, that yeah, happens yeah, for no sure. matter what, right? Um, if he doesn't play well, I think it's fine moving him to second and letting Bobby Wood Jr. play short. I'm fine with that too, right? Mm -hmm. But the idea of Mondesi at 25 years old moving to the outfield and learning to play a position as complicated as center, it's one thing to play left or right, but center is a tough position in the outfield. You're the one who has to communicate the most. The angles coming off the bat are often more directly at you, and so it's hard to gauge depth. If you haven't been practicing the center field for a while, it's tough to learn. And so the notion that he could just move to center field and be fine. That's, that's ridiculous. And so, no, I I don't think he's going to move to center. I don't think that would be a good idea, but the sort of athleticism of shortstop does translate to the outfield. If you can get someone started young enough at it. And so that's why I like the idea of moving a a high school draftee to center rather than somebody who's 25 years old has had a lot of success at shortstop in some years. He still makes too many errors in my opinion, Mondesi does, but he has great range at center or at short. And I think that why would you move him off a position he's been successful at or move him out of the middle infield where, you know, he's a gold glove level middle infielder at his best. And so keep him at shortstop, maybe put him at second, but this notion of Mondesi going to the outfield. No, it's not happening. The Royals have a six-game homestand next week, a two-game set against the Pirates, and a four-game series against the Twins yet again. Mike, tell us a little bit about the Pirates and what that series is going to bring. Uh, the Pirates are not very good right now. They're 20-31. and 31. It looks like, and these are kind of shaky as always, Mike Miner versus Chad Cool. Chad Cool's kind of a major league average kind of guy, sinker slider. Uh, he's got a really high ERA this year. He throws a sinker a lot in the mid-90s. Uh, throws a slider. He has a changeup, but he doesn't throw it very often. You know, Miner's been roughly major league average this year, kind of. So uh, you'll like your opportunity to win that game in the first one. For the second game, it looks like we're going to get uh, Singer versus Will Crow. Uh, Right-hander is 26 years old. He's got a high ERA, too, above five. Um, so you're hoping to get that. But we do need a bounce back from Brady Singer, who really struggled in his last outing as well. 
Um, so hopefully we can get two games there against a team that isn't very good in the Pirates. Yeah, last uh, two-game National League series they had, they took both games from the Brewers, and this team is not nearly as good as they are, and these two pitchers are not nearly as good as the pitchers the Brewers throughout that series. So really a good opportunity to, to do some hitting. This, this, this week is going to be a, a good week for Royals hitters, I think, or at least opportunity for uh, some fireworks because the pitching thrown out by the Pirates is going to be subpar. And my guess is the pitching for the Twins, which is the next series, is going to be subpar too. After the Pirates, the Royals will take a will go uh, or will um, host the Twins for a four-game series. But I think the schedule sort of lining up so that some of the same starters from this series will pitch in the next series. And so we might see Dobnak. We might see um, who was the guy yesterday. I'm I'm already blanking on their names because they're that forgettable. Oh, it was uh, old guy Hap. We might see Hap. We might yeah. see the guy who pitched today, whose name I also forget. This is how forgettable these guys are. Uh, <laughs> and so the Twins don't have a tremendous rotation. They got Jose Barrios, but other than that, it's really weak for them. And so we'll see if the offense can really take advantage of these bad pitching and be bad pitchers for the Pirates and Twins next week, grab a bunch of runs. This is a week where they should really get a lot of wins. They should get, you know, six games. I would want them to win five of these games. Four would be good, but you know, I I want them to win all. I want them to win five for the twins. The only thing that might help them is I think Byron Buxton might be back this week. He's in, he's doing rehab starts right now. He's on a rehab assignment right now. And so maybe he'll be back and that would help them out quite a bit. And they do have a lineup that can hit Uh, key. Brian Hayes for the pirates might also be back soon. I know he's doing a rehab assignment down in AAA right now. So We'll see if, if, if they, these two teams get really their two best players back. Um, but if they don't, or even if they do, it's a good chance for the Royals to get maybe four wins. If they have a hot streak, maybe five. Um, so hopefully it'll be a really successful week for the Royals this week. We'll end this week's show the same way we, we end every show with our Just a Bit Outside segment, where we uh, talk about something that interests us outside of baseball this week. Mike, what are you obsessed with outside of baseball? Uh, this may be more of an annoyed with. It's not obsessed with. with or fascinated by. So I like to watch golf. I like to play golf on top of the other sports that I like to consume. Uh, but the thing that's kind of overshadowed the golf world this last week or so is a feud between two of its largest stars in Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau. And people are all like, oh, yeah, way to go, Brooks, for talking shit on Bryson and way to go, Bryson, for tweeting some shit at Brooks. And really... If you watch a lot or you watch press conferences or you watch these guys talk to the media or do anything else, like, I don't see how you could root for either of these guys. They both suck. They (laughs) both seem like just, just not people you want to hang around. So I'm a millionaire who grew up in a family with tons of money (laughs) and have nothing but privilege. Please take my side in this bullshit feud. Exactly. And I hope, I really hope that they're like coordinating this in the background because that's really what should be happening. It's like, I I don't understand. Like if these two are squaring off against each other, I'm the guy standing next to them with a big sign that says they both suck. Like that's what I want to be. Um, so don't, don't buy into this garbage golf feud that they're probably, they probably invented to sell whatever. Um, instead just watch the, the golf on mute or something like get away from those two. You want to root for a golfer? Colin Morikawa root for that guy. Cameron champ root for that guy, you know, uh, root for some of these guys that don't give a crap about either of those two egomaniacs. 
And that's what it is, really. It, it's egomaniacs who just need some cameras pointed at them. Oh, and so, no thank you. Is there any way, like, either uh, you, know, you could, like, get a fist fight going and you knock each other out? Because that would be, like, my my ideal ending to this. Like the end of Rocky? Where you, of course, it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be much more like a slap fight, I'm, I'm imagining. Oh, and so, you know, no thank you. Screw off Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah, I'm going to talk about something a little way more interesting, way more sophisticated, way more mind stimulating than the, that garbage. The thing that interests me this week and has interested me a lot, but I went back and watched a bunch of them this week, um, are these things called RSA animates. Uh, you may have seen these and not realized that that's what they're called. Um, they're these things that the RSA, which is the Royal Society of the Arts, does where they have they bring people in to do lectures and then they take like a 10 minute summary of those lectures, a recorded 10 minute summary of these lectures, and they have somebody animate them. And so they do like a little marker board animation kind of thing. Um, and they're just really interesting and really fun to like listen to and watch. And so there's one that got a ton of hype a few years ago, many years ago now from a guy named Ken Robinson. And the, the title of the, the video, and these are just YouTube videos. You can find these on YouTube. The title of the video is uh, Changing Education Paradigms. And it, it's all about how like education needs to change. And he talks about how it needs to change. And so there's a whole bunch of these on different subjects. One of my favorites is called 21st Century Enlightenment, where this guy argues that in the 21st century, we need to have a new enlightenment, but it needs to be an empathic enlightenment. So it needs to be an enlightenment where we learn how to treat each other with more empathy. And it's just a really great, great lecture that he does. It's only about 10 minutes long, but it's fen phenomenal. And I really, really like it. Um, and they're just different, a whole bunch of these different ones. So if you're like bored or you're like, oh, I want to do something that's like mind stimulating after I just watched Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau act like morons, <laughs> I want to do something to like up my IQ after it just fell 10 points. Um, go ahead and watch an RSA animate because they're just a ton of fun and, and just an interesting thing, way to spend 10 minutes. They're only 10 minutes. So it's, it's not that, not that long. In fact, one of them ends with one of my favorite quotes of all time from a, a woman named Margaret Mead, who is of no relation to us that I know of. She's an anthropologist, but it, the, the lecture ends with uh, her quote, never doubt that a small group of dedicated individuals can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. And it just, it gets me, it, it inspires me every, every time I hear that. And so, yeah, give those a listen. You'll really like them. They're almost as inspiring as Royals Weekly. <laughs> Thanks for listening to us this week. We really appreciate it. We're hoping we can get to the level of Margaret Mead, who is not related to us, but we'll pretend she is. And uh, yeah, go Royals. <laughs>